so, how are we doing? Yeah? It is good to be together again this morning. Um, I wanna, last week, I got started with a question. I have another question for you. We're not, this is just kind of think about, and then I'll give you my answers. Um, what, how many synonyms can you come up with for the phrase maximum effort? Maximum effort. Right, so I, my brain immediately, Patrick's smiling. What, yeah, I got to hear what you're like smirking. I said do work. Do work, all right. Right, so there's a lot of, of slang and um, the thoughts like uh, go all out. Give it all you have. Go all in. 100%. Give 100%. My wife's favorite, give 110%. And she's shaking her head at me because she hates that. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, go full throttle, right? If you are into gaming, full send, right? Um, so the one that came to my mind as I was getting ready was this idea of um, holding nothing back. Holding nothing back. And a lot of times that there's a kind of a negative connotation, like you would do anything, right? Underhanded, whatever to accomplish your goal. But I would encourage you to keep that little thought tucked in the back of your head in a positive way as we work through the next part of the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we gave out these handy dandy little, they're Gospels of Mark. It's a page of scripture on one side and a blank page on the other for notes. If you would like one, Carrie's got a stack of them right there. You didn't get one last week. Put your hand up and um, she will bring them around to you along with the pen. Do me a favor. Write your name in it, right? Because they all look exactly the same. And I would encourage you, I saw some of you guys bring them back from last week. That's awesome. I would encourage you to um, continue to do that each week as we work our way through the, the Gospel of Mark. So real quick catch up. We started last week by saying this guy, John Mark, wrote this book to detail who Jesus is. And right out of the gate, Mark says he is the Son of God and he is the Messiah. Over here. Um, and we talked last week about how Jesus, we can trust Jesus with his power, right? He's looking to compassionately use that power for God's glory and for our good. And he did some amazing things. He taught, he healed, he restored. After, there's a couple verses left in chapter one, after the ones that we covered last week. He wakes up the next morning after doing all these amazing things, and he he doesn't wake up at like 11. He doesn't sleep in. He gets up early and he goes to a solitary place to pray. Right? That was one of the things that we talked about was his, him maintaining his connection with God. He felt that was vitally important. And while he's praying, guy can't catch a break, his followers, his closest followers, come and track him down and they're like, everybody is looking for you. After all that crazy stuff that you did, they want more. They want you to heal more. They want you to teach more. They want to see more of you. They want to be with you more. And he's like, nah, let's, let's go someplace else. That's what I'm here to do. I'm going to go teach as many people as possible. These folks, we've taught them. We got started here. Let's go. So he goes and he leaves. Remember last week we talked about Jesus was not going to let anybody steal his agenda. He was going to do what he had to do. And that was to redirect as many people as he could to God and teach them about forgiveness of sins. 
So he goes off on his way, and he meets a man who's got leprosy. And back then, that was just kind of a catch-all category for any sort of nasty skin funkiness. And Jesus heals the man. He cleans, he cleans that up. Important to know, leprosy not only was a physical ailment, but it pushed you to the margins of society. It made you an outcast. It made you unclean. And it made you isolated and alone. And you weren't supposed to touch somebody with leprosy for obvious physical reasons, but also because it would make you spiritually unclean. Didn't stop Jesus. Didn't stop him. And he tells the guy, don't, don't tell anybody except the priest. Go to the priest and tell him you had the skin condition, you're now healed, and offer the appropriate sacrifices. There was a set of rules in place for when people were healed so they could be made clean and brought back into, into the community. Right? So Jesus comes with this unlimited power that people have never seen before, but he still operates within the current power structure that God set up in the Old Testament. Sometimes we get hung up thinking, well, like, Jesus came and we have grace now. We don't have to follow any of the rules. Jesus did not come to abolish those rules. He came to fulfill them. Right? And I know we think about the Old Testament. We can get caught up, get tricky. We think about the Old Testament and what we can learn from it. Right? Obviously, we're all sitting here wearing some sort of blend of materials, which was forbidden in the Old Testament. Right? So we take the wisdom from the Old Testament, and we apply it to our context. But the point I wanted to make was that Jesus, unlimited power, but he operated within God's guidelines for that power. Okay, so now we get to chapter 2, where we're going to pick up. This is chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to stop and make some comments as we go. So they started in Capernaum. Jesus did all those amazing things at first in Capernaum. He goes out, he travels around. Now they're returning to Capernaum. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. These friends would not be deterred. Right? So that word mat in the original language is basically our version of like duct tape and bubble gum. They like cobbled together something to carry their friend to Jesus. They made a stretcher from spare parts. They made an opening in the roof. The dwelling in Capernaum, was probably a one-room abode. It didn't have a peaked roof like we had. It had a flat roof, and there was probably a staircase that went up to that roof. These guys carried their friend up the staircase, got on top of the roof, and started digging through the roof. It was a thatched roof kind of held together with mud. One room, so everybody's underneath, and there's dust probably starting to fall on the people who are listening to Jesus, and all eyes get directed up. And eventually there's a hole. Jesus is looking up. And I was telling the Friday morning Bible study, I, I just have this image in my head of Jesus just smiling. Right? These guys making this mess, doing whatever they need to do, holding nothing back to get their friend to Jesus. They would not be deterred. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. It's really interesting, right? It wasn't the man who was paralyzed. His faith did not come into, into play. It was the faith of the friends that motivated Jesus to forgive the sins of the paralyzed man. Our, our faith in Jesus can do amazing things in the lives of our friends and our family and our loved ones and the people that we meet in the grocery store. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Again, paralyzed man, probably spent a lot of time alone, isolated. Jesus calls him son. It's a, it's a familial term, right? When we think about a, a relationship, a father-son relationship, a mother-son relationship, it's a, it's a relationship of protection and provision and a desire to be together. Jesus wanted him to know, right? He recognized his greatest need to, was to have his sins forgiven, but that the fact that he had sin in his life that wasn't too big a problem. He still desired relationship, right? He kept the relationship bigger than the problem. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Really interesting, right? There are some modern-day skeptics who will kind of try to point out, and you can argue verses back and forth, that Jesus never claimed to be God, and I think there are some verses that say that. But I think if we look at the way people reacted to Jesus, they are claiming that he was God. The, who can forgive sins but God alone, right? They thought that he was blaspheming. Only God can forgive somebody's sins. There are other places where Jesus compared himself. He used the term I am, which is another name for God. And the crowd around him wanted to stone him. For blasphemy, right? Because he was equating himself with God. Remember, Mark's, the whole point of Mark's gospel is so that people would know who Jesus is, right? Son of God and the Messiah. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? I would be a dangerous person if I could tell what, <laughs> what y'all were thinking. Um, that's just another, like, Jesus, his power is unlimited. Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Both of them are easy to say, right? For humanity, both of them are impossible to do. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on heaven, uh, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. One of the things that I want us to be really clear on, and I repeat intentionally a lot, is the idea that the Bible is a cohesive story that points to Jesus. And this title, the Son of Man, is Jesus' favorite title for himself. It's his favorite title for himself, and it comes out of the Old Testament. right? It comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet, one of God's messengers. And Daniel had a vision, and it's just two verses. I want to read to you what Daniel said. 
In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the idea of the Son of Man, that was a phrase that had a couple of different meanings. But Jesus, knowing his audience, knowing that they would know the scripture, takes this phrase and he fills it with meaning. He's the one with power and authority and dominion. He's the one that's going to launch this everlasting kingdom. This was God's plan for humanity from the beginning, right? It, it was supposed to be Adam and Eve, God's representatives, carrying God's image, ruling and reigning with God and like God over the earth. Adam and Eve didn't get it done. Noah didn't get it done. Abraham didn't get it done. Abraham's family didn't get it done. The nation of Israel didn't get it done. Jesus comes out of the nation of Israel, and he is the one who, fully God, fully human, lives, shows us what it is to be fully human. If you get caught up thinking about what does it mean, you know, what is this life all about? All you got to do, not all you got to do, because it's not that simple, is read the Gospels. Right? Jesus is human. He's what it means to be human. And at the same time, he has this unlimited power. He's fully, he's fully God. That story starts in Genesis, page 1, goes through Daniel, halfway through the Old Testament, and culminates in, in Jesus. This is just a quote from a guy who's way smarter than I am. He's a professor, writer, author. The title, Son of Man, refers to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's purposes and creation and his work through his people Israel. Jesus is the one who will suffer, be vindicated, and bring in an eternal kingdom. Just a much simpler, shorter way of saying what I said. Last verse. He got up, the man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And I think it was, um, I think it was Rich on Friday morning who pointed out that Jesus, like, this guy was paralyzed. So even if he was healed, right, there was no more paralysis, you would think there would be a fairly significant amount of atrophy, right? He would have to learn how to walk again. He gets up, and he carries this makeshift stretcher, which probably had to weigh a ton, and he, he goes on his way. Jesus didn't just heal him. He made him whole. He made him whole. And this, you know, what we're calling this teaching series, Amazed, this amazed everyone, and they praised God. This wasn't just a party trick. Jesus never used his power on his own behalf. It was for God, so people would look at God and see God in the proper light and for the good of everybody else. So I'm amazed, right? The people were amazed. I'm amazed at Jesus' desire and ability to fight against the powers of evil. Right? And in this story, we see the powers of evil represented in a couple of different ways. We don't know whether this man was sick or he got injured or somebody hurt him, but he was paralyzed, presence of evil. There were teachers who were questionable at best, more likely bad teachers, who were supposed to be looking out for the people, directing them to God. 
presence of evil. And then he forgave the man's sin. Right? Sin is what entered into the world in the beginning and is the manifestation of evil in our lives, in everybody's life. And Jesus came in and he dealt with all of that. I had, um, my wife and I share a phrase, I was having a moment last night. Um, sometimes I get to feeling really helpless really helpless and I know some of your stories and I know where you're at right now and the idea that Jesus compassionately uses his power he has this unlimited power and he uses it on our behalf to defeat the powers of evil seems really foreign seems far off seems like a fairy tale I would encourage you to hang in there Jesus will use his power on your behalf. And he does it in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But he will. So I didn't want um, to go on to you know, this yay, rah, rah, Jesus will stop at nothing to defeat the powers of evil without recognizing that the power of evil exists and it hurts and it makes um, even Jesus hard to understand sometimes. Are we tracking? Are you guys with me? So that's what the big idea, right? Jesus will stop at nothing to defeat the power of evil. How did he do that in this, in the passage that we read, right? He forgave sin first. He recognized the man's biggest problem and he dealt with it first. Recognizing that that was the obstacle between him and the man. Sin is what separates humanity from God, and he dealt with that first. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. So there's a, uh, a sphere within Christianity um, that says, just preach the gospel, man. Just preach the gospel. And it's not enough. Yeah, we need to... Tell people about Jesus. Jesus was preaching the gospel, right? And the people around him saw him forgive somebody's sins. Jesus was living the gospel in front of them, and it wasn't enough. At that point in time, in that culture, what was needed was a supernatural, miraculous healing. We could absolutely use supernatural, miraculous healings in our day. We are so skeptical and think we can fix everything ourselves. We would probably rationalize how it's not a miracle and whatever else. Um, but I would suggest to you that there are other things that we can, along with preaching the gospel, there are other things that we can do alongside of that, right? Reach across, reach across the political aisle. And have a conversation with somebody, an honest conversation with the goal of listening and maybe even learning something, not trying to win an argument or be right. The man in the story and the account was paralyzed. We're, I'm going to keep saying this throughout this Gospel of Mark. People's circumstances were an indication to everybody around them 
of their righteousness or lack thereof, or their parents' righteousness or lack thereof. That's what everybody thought back then. So he must have done something terrible, or his parents, somebody did something terrible for him to end up that way, right? That's called a stigma. There's a stigma that gets attached to people. The stigmas in our day and age are separating us and are tearing us apart, right? The stigmas that come along with you happen to, if you are somebody who, um, you know, is, is pro-LGBTQ, right? There's a stigma that goes along with that. If you're somebody who believes in, you know, traditional gender um, identity and, and sexual orientation, there's a stigma that goes along with that. If you are vax or anti-vax, there's a stigma that goes along with that. If you're gun or no gun, there's a stigma that comes along with that. The level of craziness, the lack of, of adult discord, that, <laughs> that, or the lack of adult conversation that happens in our current day, that, w- I, mean, I mean, would be borderline miraculous. If we could engage in conversation like that, if we could just show up in people's lives who think differently than we do, who live differently than we do, and at the same time, we're bringing them the gospel, those are powers that validate each other in, a, in an incredible, incredible way. An incredible way. So he didn't stop there. He forgave sins. He didn't stop there. Teaching, healing, restoring, and ultimately dying. Everything Jesus did for God, the Father, for our good. Giving up heaven, living among us, dying to offer us forgiveness and free us from our sin. He stopped at nothing. He stopped at nothing. So, the man was forgiven of his sins. I've used the word sin a number of times. I've talked about how we are all guilty of sin. And that's a hard concept. It's a, it's a condition that entered the world when Adam and Eve said they thought they could do better than God. When they thought that God didn't have their best interests in mind. And it's a condition that we all have. At the same time, every single person in this room who you know who has ever lived is created in the image of God. Every single person who's ever lived, who you know, who you like, who you dislike, Jesus lived, died, and rose again to offer them forgiveness of their sins. It's because we tend to be people of extremes, right? We hear the theology and the doctrine of sin and like we either, uh, I'm, people are basically good. That doesn't make any sense. Get, get away from me. Or I'm horrible, I'm miserable, I'm worthless, I don't deserve anything. Just all this hate and self-hate and self-loathing, right? And the other side, the other side of that would be like, we're created in God's image. Jesus did all this amazing stuff for us. Yeah, I have sinned. So what? Big deal. Not a big deal. Jesus took care of it. We have to live in this tension of the fact that 
sin is serious. It affects all of us. We don't, none of us have to look very far to see that we live in a fallen, broken world, and we are fallen, broken people. But at the same time, we are loved and we are celebrated like a child that was lost and thought gone forever and now is back. We have to hold those two things together. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. This is a New Testament letter written to a church try, trying to help people understand this concept, how to carry these two ideas in tension. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Righteousness in the Bible is a relational word. It's about being right in right relationship with each other. And Jesus is the one that came and made, apart from the law, relationship with God possible. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For a long time, in the circles that I was traveling in, people would stop there. They would stop at verse 23 and just pound, 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 pound. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you suck, you're miserable, you're a sinner. Right? It's not even a next sentence. It's the next verse separated by a comma. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We hold both of those things in tension. All right. So from the very beginning, the invitation has been for people to join God in what he's doing. Right? We see Jesus holding nothing back in the way, everything that he's done so far, in the, um, or stopped at nothing, um, and everything that he's done so far in the book of Mark. But I mentioned it briefly, and I want to come back to it. The friends also stopped at nothing. There's different translations of the Bible. And they range from being really literal translations, like word-for-word little translations, to um, trying to capture an idea and make it easier to read, to flat-out just paraphrases and, and nice, you know, kind of sounding adaptations and so there's a spectrum, right? We, these verses that are up here are from something called the New International Version. That's what we teach from. There's a version that anybody can access on Bible Gateway called, um, what's it called? The Disciples Literal Translation. And when you read the Disciples Literal Translation, the friends unroofed the roof. That's what they did, right? Our, the one we read said they made an opening in the roof. They unroofed the roof. And we're going to steal that idea and, and figure out what we can do to stop at nothing, to get Jesus in front of our friends, to get our friends in front of Jesus. And the first thing that I would say to you is to unawkward the awkward. And I've, I've given us this idea before, the idea of a spiritual balloon. If you want to talk about Jesus with somebody today, it, it, sometimes it's like received as a dirty word. Sometimes it's just shrugged off. It's awkward, however. One way to approach that is to float a spiritual balloon. Show up at work on Monday morning. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, not much. You know, some friends and I painted somebody, you know, from church, we painted somebody's house. And if they start talking about, you know, Jaguars coming back and beating the Chargers last night, an immediate response to that, you're like, okay, you know, 
spiritual balloon has been popped. If, on the other hand, they're like, what, you're painting somebody else's house? Who, who did what now? And they receive, they catch that balloon, then you have a door. Yeah, it's just part of like how we do life together. When stuff has to get done, we come together and, and we do it. Oh, that's cool. Tell me more about your church. Right? Just as an example. The other thing is to make the, to unawkward the awkward. Just tell your story, man. If you want somebody to know about Jesus, the single most effective thing you can do is not go get a PhD in biblical studies. Just share your story. What Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus has done through you. And if, if we, and I would say this, this like if, as you meet somebody, the earlier in the conversation you kind of go down that road, the easier, the easier it is. This is, this is like a lifestyle. This is not, um, this is just being a friend, right? Just being somebody's friend. Unhurry the hurried. We all go really fast, right? Some of us go probably too fast. Um, but I want to I wanna suggest to you that this is one of the biggest obstacles to, to helping people understand Jesus, is we go too fast. A lot of us are running as fast as we can to get away from our past. A lot of us feel like we have to run a thousand miles an hour just to keep up with everything going around us today. Some of us, all we can do is think about the future, so we run as fast as we can to get to the future. We sink deep, deep roots in Jesus, and we develop the strength, just like a tree sinks deep roots to withstand wind and rain and weather, right? We sink deep roots into Jesus, and whatever was behind us won't catch us. What's going on around us will have the strength to handle. We can be a non-anxious presence to those around us. With deep roots in Jesus, the future isn't something to be afraid of. So I want to ask for 15 minutes of your day. Pretty much first thing when you wake up or around there. Five minutes of gratitude. For those of you who have been here for a while, we've been working on these things we're calling golden memories. Developing a list of these thoughts, these experiences, people, interactions, things where we can look back and we can relive that moment and then we think about what God might have been trying to say to us through that gift. Right? And if, if you're not at a point kind of in your journey where you can see God move like that, what made you smile in the last 24 hours? What made you smile in the last week? If there is a God, what might he might have been able to been trying to show you through that, through that gift? It's five minutes in the morning. Three minutes sometime midday between 10 and 2. Be silent for one minute. Right? It's really hard to be silent for one minute. If you just concentrate on your breathing, if you think about your breathing, a minute will go by pretty quick. Read one psalm. It's the biggest book in the Bible. 
There's 150 chapters. Just start on verse 1, read one psalm. Silent for one more minute. Okay? Five minutes of gratitude, a psalm in silence, sometime in midday, that's eight minutes. At the end of the day, download the Lectio 365 app and hit the, the nighttime devotional as you're going to sleep. As we're, going to, as we're going to bed at night, we'll hit play on that thing, and these cool Irish and English accents come over, and they help you think through your day and think through where, how you saw God. They help you think through the ways in which you let God down, and you go to sleep with Scripture kind of being um, spoken to you and over you. Each of those average about seven minutes. It's 15 minutes. That kind of rhythm will help those roots grow deep. Help them grow deep. That's one way to unhurry the other. The other one is to be interruptible. I'm not going to go, there's not a lot to go on about this. Just when you see that phone number come up and you know somebody's got stuff going on, or even if they don't have stuff going on, you know they're the kind of person who stuff is just right around the corner. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Right? Your kid wants you to play Legos on the floor. Sit down on the floor and play Legos. Your teenager wants to show you the 70-second meme of the day that they found funny or interesting. Engage. Jesus was ultimately interruptible. His mission was the most important mission. His work was the most important work throughout history. And he stopped for everybody. All right, so we unhurry the hurried by being interruptible. Last one. Unscare the scary. The first thing, when, I, when, I, when we think about getting our friends to Jesus or Jesus to our friends, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm afraid I don't know enough. The, a relationship with Jesus is one of being a lifelong learner. That's actually one of the translations of disciple. Read your Bible. Ask questions. There, there are people in this room who know the Bible really well. And I'm not talking about me or Pastor Leanne, who is on vacation this week, by the way. So if you guys think, say a prayer, they have a great vacation. Um, there are people in this room who would just love to talk to you about the Bible and their experience with the Bible if you don't get it. Somebody read through a book of the Bible with you. Somebody read through a book that explains the Bible with you. Ask questions. Be curious about, about the things of Jesus and the things of God. And the other one is kind of um, just being willing to sit in the scary, to sit in the hard stuff. If you want to um, bring somebody to Jesus, bring Jesus to somebody, sometimes you don't have to say anything, right? You don't have to do anything except show up and be their friend and just sit. The scary stuff is always less scary if we're not alone. We unawkward the awkward, we unhurry the hurried, and we unscare the scary. In our day and age and our time and the things that we wrestle with as a culture, these 
are how we stop at nothing to help get our friends and family in front of Jesus. Knowing, knowing that Jesus stops at nothing to defeat the powers of evil. Let's pray. Jesus, we again, we just thank you that you have unlimited power, that you can be trusted with that power, and that you are always at work with that power. <clears throat> God, I pray right now for those of us who, um, who are feeling the effects of the power of evil in, in scary ways, in significant ways, in ways that seem overwhelming. God, would you show up in our lives and reveal that power to us? And God, I ask for each of us that you would make us the kind of people that are willing to stop at nothing to help our friends come to know you so that you might exercise that power on their behalf. Lord Jesus, we are um, just so, so grateful, and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.